0: This is the Before the Millions podcast episode. Wait, hey, Duray, what's a, how do you categorize a fire episode? Uh, I'd say anything closely related to an episode like this. Episode 46.
1: and global entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions Podcast. Hey, this is Mark Asquith, the host of the 7-Minute Mentor Podcast, global entrepreneur, and all-round geek, and you are listening to the Before the Millions Podcast. I am MC Lobsher, the cash flow ninja, and you're listening to Before the Millions Podcast. You're listening to the Before the Millions Podcast.
0: Whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location-independent, You've come to the right place. Mr. Hollywood himself presents the Before the Millions Podcast. And now
1: your host, Duray Olalaye.
0: Hey, what's up? What's going on? We're back. Back for another episode. We're back for another installment of the Before the Millions Podcast. I'm excited for today's show. I'm excited for today's guest. It's actually one of my favorite episodes. I don't know why. It's just it works. It gets to me. It makes sense. And today's guest is actually an avid listener of the podcast, which is very, very humbling because our guest has a lot of wisdom. And it's one of those things where he references episodes of this podcast quite a few times in, in this show. So that maybe that's why I'm so excited to have him on because I know that we're relatable in so many ways and he agrees with our mission and what we're trying to do here. And that's exactly what he's doing in his life. So, The premise of today's podcast episode is how to not ever, ever worry about money again. Wouldn't that be like the biggest burden lifted off your shoulders? If you just never had to worry about money, if you can do what you love, buy what you want, be where you want to be at all times, wouldn't that be amazing? That's the lifestyle that we strive to achieve on this podcast. That's the lifestyle that we promote on this podcast. We don't care about being these audacious millionaires. We know that we can live a fulfilling, impactful life far before the millions if we just turn our sights on creating cash flow. Hence why the show is called Before the Millions. We talk about the journey before the millions. We talk about fulfillment before the millions. We talk about living your ultimate life now and not waiting till you have a large sum of money. We don't care about working for somebody else and making their family rich. We don't care about Paying a bunch of taxes. Now, of course, I know that taxes are something that, you know, keeps the world going around and something that, you know, we help pay for schools and streets and things like that. But we're not being raped, sorry to say, by taxes. I mean, it's not what we do. So, in essence, we love a lifestyle that allows us to not ever have to worry about money. To most of the listeners, money's not the most important thing in their lives and it shouldn't be. So, if somebody is working 60 hours a week, 70 hours a week to put food on the table and not investing in themselves, not investing in the future, not investing in cash flow. Then I mean, think about it. Most of your day spent around money making activities. Most of your day spent around producing income to provide. And when that's the case, by definition, what 80% of your day spent around making money. So therefore, I mean, that is your number one goal. Your time shows what your number one goal is in life, where you spend your efforts, where you spend your time. The only way we know how to free ourselves up from our time is to invest, point blank period. The only way we know how to free ourselves up from money-making activities 75% of the day, 85% of the day is to start investing, whether that's in a business, in ourselves, or in hard assets. I don't know any other way to do that. So anyways... Today's guest, Mr. David Sweeney, is a 30-year police officer. He's been serving our country for over 30 years, putting bad guys in jail, serving for the SWAT, being an expert witness, just any and everything in the field of law enforcement. He's been able to do it, and he brings a lot of knowledge and wisdom to the table. And again, it's one of my favorite episodes. I just kind of love it. So if you want to find out his way of never having to worry about money again, Then stick around because this is a fascinating episode. One thing that it really teaches me is that you're never too old to jump in real estate. It's never too late. If he can do it, you can do it. Now, in today's tip of the week, I'm going to show you exactly how to have the right mindset, how to have the right focus, how to make sure that you achieve your goal of jumping into real estate. So tune in, guys, because the next 45 minutes to one hour is going to be powerful. Let's get to the tip of the week raise tip of the week. Some people call it entrepreneurial ADD. Some people call it shiny object syndrome. Some people just flat out call it floundering. Whatever it is that you call it, whatever it is that's holding you back, whatever it is that has you chasing any and everything that you see that you deem to be an opportunity, it's a problem. And it's a problem. Why? Because through all the chasing, through all the opportunity, there hasn't actually been a breakthrough. There hasn't actually been some substantial move forward. There's been decision-making, quote unquote. There's been contemplation. There's been all these things, but there hasn't been a step forward. When it comes to real estate investing, there are people who read tons of books, who are well-educated in the space. There are people who listen to tons of pockets. There are people who live on bigger pockets. And yet, most of these people, they don't have a single property in their portfolio. They haven't got started on their real estate investing journey. You ask them any question about real estate investing, they'll be able to answer it before anybody else. So, why aren't these people actually making the move? Why aren't these people actually taking that step? And the ones that actually do take the step, the 10% or the 1% that actually do take the step, how many of them are actually successful in purchasing their first investment property and cash flowing for the very first time ever? off of efforts that aren't produced by their physical labor, it's an epidemic guys. And that's an epidemic I'm looking to cure. It's a problem when actual real estate investors know how important it is to take that first step, to be an entrepreneur, to be a business owner, to be an investor. They know that it's gonna build that momentum. They know that that's what's gonna keep them moving forward. And it's like most people on the other side who haven't done it yet, they have no clue where to begin and how to begin. So that's what I want to talk about today. This tip of the week is dedicated to you and your goals and reaching those goals as efficiently, as quickly as possible with minimal headaches, minimal failures, minimal mistakes, and maximum chances for success. Does that sound like a good game plan to y'all? It sounds like one to me, but what's crazy is none of us actually follow this the simple game plan. And it can be as simple as how I'm about to lay it out for you guys here today. Do you want to reach your goals for the first time ever? Do you want to reach goals that you've never thought were possible? Do you want to start investing in real estate here in 2018? Have you tried for the past three, four, five years to jump into something that's actually going to change your life? Have you succeeded yet? If you haven't, then it's evident that what you're doing is not working. And if what you're doing is not working, it's time to change direction. It's time to change course. It's time to take on a new set of rules. So here's a three step process to achieving your goals, to getting to that first investment property, to becoming a business owner, to start cash flowing through real estate so that you can repeat the process and possibly eventually leave your day job if that's what you choose to do. The first, the very first thing you guys have to do, this is step number one. The very first thing you guys have to do is to actually decide on your goals decide on the outcome that you want. Without this decision, you're going to go for any opportunity. You're going to listen to tons of different podcasts that talk about real estate investing and talk about different ways to invest in real estate. And you may try them all. You're going to be floundering. You know why? Because you haven't decided on your goals. You haven't decided on what the outcome you want to happen. You haven't decided on what your outcome is, what that outcome you envision is you haven't decided on the end goal. Because look, if you decide on the end goal, you'll know exactly which opportunities are for you and which opportunities are gonna get you to that end goal and which opportunities are gonna be a waste of time. You know exactly which books are for you, you know exactly which people, which circles are for you and what are not because you have the end goal in mind. When I set an end goal for this year to help as many people buy their first investment property in 2018, when I set that as my goal, I immediately knew that every opportunity that came my way that was a distraction that wasn't in line with that goal, I had to brush it off. I had to say no. But if I never set that goal or if I had multiple goals, I'd be overwhelmed. I wouldn't know what opportunities to look into. I wouldn't know what books to read. I wouldn't have a direction. As soon as you decide on your goal, as soon as you know your outcome, what you want the end result to be, that's when things come clear. That's when the path forms itself. So number one, Decide on your goals. Once you've decided on your goals, this is number two. What strategy is going to help you get to that goal? This is another common pitfall I see in newbie investors. This is a pitfall that I had to face. What strategy is going to help you get to your goal? You need a strategy to get you to your desired income, not multiple strategies, not multiple people, not multiple ways of looking at the situation, but one proven strategy again, it has to be a proven strategy. You are not reinventing the wheel. You are going to find a strategy that aligns with your goal, and you're going to go with that strategy full force. What people often do, what I've done, is you listen to tons of podcasts, you read tons of books, and you put all these pieces together. You put all these things that intelligent, smart people are telling you to do, and you just kind of formulate it together to make your own plan, because we believe that we can do it on our own. And I think that we can, but I think that's going to take a lot longer and you're going to have a lot more mistakes. You're going to have a lot more failures than you would have if you followed one sure fire proven strategy. doesn't matter what strategy it is. As long as that strategy aligns with your outcome, it aligns with your goal. You follow that strategy from A to Z and you do not deviate. We often like to put different pieces of different strategies together and create our own strategy. And what happens when we do that is that the minute we run into a problem... We have nowhere to turn because we've created a brand new strategy that a hasn't been proven and b there's nobody who's done this strategy before to even lean on to be like hey look at my strategy and tell me what's going wrong why is nobody responding to my direct mailers why are sellers not even even looking at my offer what's going on with my strategy Well, if you've pieced together different pieces of different strategies from different people, nobody can look at your overall strategy and be able to pinpoint why you're not having success because you're not following their strategy. You took a piece of their strategy. Does that make sense, guys? This is the one time I would tell you guys when you're creating a game plan to plagiarize. Plagiarize in the sense that you follow a proven path. You don't recreate the wheel. So one, decide on your goals. Know what your outcome is. Two, find a strategy that aligns with your goals and see that strategy from beginning to end don't listen to 30 million podcasts. Now you can, but you shouldn't allow these podcasts, you shouldn't allow these books to create pieces of a strategy that you've made up in your head. You should find a strategy that's already proven, that already works and work that strategy from A to Z. When I do those things in different aspects of my business, I completely shut everything else out that has anything remotely to do with that subject matter because I don't want any pollution. I don't want I don't want to bring in an idea that's going to mess with the strategy and totally kill the business model. Number three, and this is really important. So you have your goals, you know your outcome. You have the strategy to get you to your outcome. Now you're going to run into hiccups. You're going to have problems. If you didn't, it wouldn't be worthwhile. If you didn't, everybody wouldn't be doing it. If you didn't, you wouldn't know how To overcome them in the future. So how do you put this whole plan in action? Number three is you have to find somebody. So you found the strategy. Now you have to find somebody who's done exactly, and I mean exactly what you are looking to do. Many people turn to financial advisors to give them advice on their finances. And these financial advisors don't even make as much money as them. Don't even know how to really invest. They want to go get a certificate at the age of 23 and have no idea what they're doing. They're getting their feet wet. You are their test dummy. In most cases, your financial advisor should not be a financial advisor. It should be somebody who is where you're looking to be, who is a good steward of their money, and who can show you, who can teach you exactly how to manage your finances. Go and find somebody, if it's real estate investing, go and find somebody with the exact business model that you're looking to emulate and do whatever it takes to work with that person. Like I said, you're gonna make mistakes. You're gonna make tons of mistakes. Just prepare for that now. Those mistakes are gonna define you. Those mistakes are gonna be the things you're gonna be able to pass on to others and help prevent them from making those same mistakes. Those mistakes are what's gonna actually teach you what you need to know about investing. But to keep those mistakes to a minimum and to know how to keep going, to have the, the, not only the fortitude, but to have the tactical game plan to keep going, to find a way around a mistake, You have to have somebody who's been through that mistake before. You have to have a mentor. You have to have somebody who's done exactly what you're looking to do. This will save you so much time. If it saves you just 2x amount of the time, that could mean 10x amount of the money that it saves you because mistakes are costly. So find somebody who you can have in your corner who's done exactly what you're looking to. And as soon as you run into a mistake, you show them what you've done and they'll tell you exactly what you need to do to get back on track. It's that simple. Three steps, guys. Decide on your goals. Find a strategy that gets you to your goals and then go and pocket somebody, follow somebody, shadow somebody, whatever it is that you have to do to acquire somebody in your corner that is going to root for you, that is going to help you overcome some of these obstacles. Most people, when they try a strategy and they get stuck, they say, oh, this strategy is not working. Oh, this strategy is not for me. Oh, this sucks. Oh, I got scammed. I think every strategy works. It just depends on how long you're willing to work the strategy, how much you're willing to work the strategy, and how much help and guidance you're willing to accept during the working of that strategy. Because if you decide and you never give up and see that strategy through from A to Z, a proven strategy, again, by the way, then you have no choice but to succeed. What most people do is they let something in that strategy get them down, and then they go try a new strategy. They go find a new shiny object to all over. And to be like, this is the one, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And then something, and then they face some type of hiccup, whether it's because they've created their own strategy from different pieces or they're actually following an implemented strategy, a proven strategy, but they don't know how to course correct because they don't have somebody in their corners to show them how to overcome some of these challenges. So if you first decide your outcome, then come up with a game plan, then choose your backing, you guys have no other choice but to succeed as long as you see it through, as long as you don't give up. It's as simple as that. This is the cure for entrepreneurial ADD. This is the cure for shiny object syndrome. This podcast is dedicated to discovering tens of hundreds of strategies. And while you're discovering those strategies, while we're discovering those strategies together, we're discovering these strategies from not people who who read about these strategies and want to talk about it, but people who actually implement these strategies and have made tons of mistakes in the process. I've had many listeners reach out to me and tell me how they've reached out to one of the guests that have been on the show, and that guest has had a profound impact in their life. And I've had just as many listeners reach out to me because they want to follow my strategy, and I've been able to help them do that. So if you're interested in creating and formulating a strategy that's going to get you to your goal and you need some help, some guidance, reach out to me. Reach out to some of these guests. Have them show you the ropes. Do whatever it takes to have them show you the ropes. I don't care how high up they are. Most of the people I bring on the show, they're super warm, giving, and they want to help you succeed. The only thing that's standing between you and them is fear. They're people just like everybody else. And the minute you reach out to them, you'll see just how friendly they are. Again, if you want me to be that person, reach out to me. Daray, D-A-R-A-Y, at BeforeTheMillions.com. Whatever it is that you do, I want you to know that sitting on the fence or jumping from one strategy to another, these are not options. As a listener of this show, these are not options. Formulate your wants, needs, and desires, the outcome. Formulate a strategy to get you to that outcome and then get a backer who's gonna ensure that you get to that outcome so that you can live the lifestyle that you were always truly meant to live. I hope this helps guys let's get to the show and now your feature
1: presentation
0: we are interviewing the man himself mr david sweeney hey david how's it going
1: hey how's it going dre good to see you
0: uh good to see you too i'm happy that you're with us i'm happy to get into your story i'm super excited for the knowledge that myself and the listeners are going to take away from your experiences. And I can't wait to get into it. So let's maybe give the listeners a background for people who have never heard of you before, who don't have no idea what you do, you know, let's give a quick 20 to 30 second summation of what you currently do. And then we'll kind of jump back into the time machine.
1: Sure. So a lot of people start off with profession. But I think the most important thing for me is being a husband and father. So uh, I've been married to my wife, Maggie, for 18 years, we have three great kids ages 11, 13 and 15. So that's my main purpose in life, that's what I'm really all about. But as far as what I do as a profession, I do about three things. So I am working with, for the Seattle Police Department, I've been on almost 31 years, I'm a lieutenant in one of the precincts here in Seattle. I also am a, now a real estate investor and real estate broker here in Seattle. And I've even started my own expert witness consulting business expert witness consulting business. What does that entail? (laughs) Well, I started DT Sweeney Consulting, LLC. And, you know, based on my experience in the police department, having 31 years here, and working in a variety of disciplines, everything from behind a desk to behind a rifle, I've been in human resources, and I've been in SWAT, and everywhere in between. So, there's a need out there for expert witnesses that can help attorneys, which happens to be my wife's uh, profession, she's an attorney, and looking for people that might need a witness as far as uh, police use of force, training issues, early intervention, performance reviews, things like that, that I have a a large background of knowledge on. So it's not specifically, uh, obviously, real estate related, but it's something that has started this year. I like the idea of having multiple streams of income and using my talents to their fullest. And I feel that's one way I can do that. It
0: sounds like you have quite a few businesses going on, including working for the police department. So I can't wait to kind of figure out how you're able to divvy up your time. Where are you speaking to us from
1: today? We're right at 10, I'm in Seattle. So yeah, yeah, Washington. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, where it was raining this morning, as it often is in the winter here. <laughs> try to, try to. <laughs> but I am off to Mexico later this week. So, oh, you know, sweet. back to the sunny land where, where I, I think I should be spending more of my time. <laughs> Are you going for business or pleasure? Uh, just for pleasure. My wife has work, uh, so she has a conference there. So I get to tag along and enjoy myself on the beach.
0: That's amazing. That's amazing. And I'm glad you're able to kind of have the lifestyle to be able to do that. That's amazing. And I'm sure we're going to get into that, how you're able to to do that. So let's take it back, David. Let's go on the time. machine. Let's let's figure out how all of this came to be. You can start at 21-year-old David or or even 18-year-old David. And let's talk about your mindset back then and how you maybe even got into the police
1: force. Absolutely. So when I was in high school, a lot of my friends were heading off to college and I thought, well, man, I got to head off to college too. That's just the thing to do. And that's what, you know, I'd kind of been instructed was part of the thing you do. You go to high school and then you go to college. But I must tell you, in high school, I was an average student. I was on the honor roll, but I didn't really study that hard. I didn't apply myself. And so when I went to college, man, now I found I have to apply myself, but I had no motivation I didn't have anything that was interesting to me, and I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I was there, and it just wasn't making sense. And I did not do very well in college when I was 19, 20 years old. I took a job as a security guard at Seattle Pacific University in Seattle. That's what brought me to Seattle. And I discovered that I kind of like wearing a uniform and I kind of like being in charge as much as a college security guard is in charge, which is not a whole lot. (laughs) But, you know, and I thought, you know, being a police officer, maybe that would be the career that I'm interested in. And as I thought back over my life, you know, I remembered a a childhood yearbook that my mom put together for me every year. And there was a variety of different professions I wanted to be when I grow up, whether it be cowboy or astronaut or stock car driver, but things changed every year. But there was one thing that was on there every year, and that was being a police officer. And it's amazing when you find a goal, when you find something that you're interested in and that you're working towards and that you want to achieve. I went back to college and my grades just jumped off the charts. I was getting near, you know, 4.0s. At about 20, 21 years old, I started putting out applications to get on the police department. And back in 1986, 87, it was a lot harder to get hired on a police department than it is today. I'm not sure why that is. I think just the job demands, a lot of people just don't want to do the job. It's definitely a life of service that you're going to dedicate yourself towards. But it interested me. I really wanted to catch bad guys and I wanted to help people. It's the main two reasons people get into policing. Catch bad guys, help people. And I thought, that sounds great. So as it happens, the police department hired me before I could even finish college. And I thought, well, I'll I'll go back one of these days. So I got hired in 1987. So we're going on 31 years now. And, you know, it was really important to me. Actually, I told myself one day I would go back and I, I got my degree from the University of Washington, probably at 42 or 43 years old. I'm 54 now. And I felt it was important to show my kids that education is important. I mean, there's, you know, I love entrepreneurship and I love all the business skills that I'm learning and using and that the BTM, you know, listeners are probably doing the same thing themselves. But I still firmly believe in having an educational background so that even if your degree doesn't necessarily match your profession, it shows that you had the perseverance to go to a university or a college and apply yourself and do something with your life. So, it shows something that you can work your way through and get through. So, it was important for me to do that. So, I was happy to go back and get my degree fairly late in life. But that was kind of my history of how I got started in the police department. And, you know, just the point I want to get across is that when I don't have a purpose, I somewhat flounder. I'm not lazy, but I don't have a purpose and I'm not really working towards anything. So, when I went to school and when I achieved the dream job that I had, Having a purpose made everything more clear. I was more devoted to what I wanted to do. I had a clear picture of what I wanted to do. I had a plan. I mapped things out. I studied what degree requirements I would need, or I studied what am I going to need to get on the police department. All those things really equated to success for me, you know, fairly early in life to being, you know, what I considered a great job at the time. I still do. I still enjoy it. I love That's that. a little about my history there.
0: You found fulfillment in catching bad guys and also being in a position of authority. What prompted you to get into real estate? And how many years after you had been serving in the police force did you start to consider alternative options and why?
1: Okay. So fast forward about 30 years of all kinds of policing, and then I turned 53 and I'm in an Amazon bookstore here in Seattle. And I was just thinking about my life. That's the retirement age in the state of Washington. You don't have to retire, but you can at 53. I would have basically had 30 years at that point and I could have a decent little retirement. I've, I've earned it, you know, I've put in my time and stuff. But as I examined my life and I thought, where do I wanna be? Retirement, obviously my kid's too young at that point to really retire. But I felt that I needed to make a change in life. I'm still enjoying policing. Don't, don't get me wrong, but it was time for something else. And I thought, you know, I, I gave a, a variety of different looks at different jobs that I wanted to have post police work. I wanted to retire and then move on to something else. And I thought, well, you know, I'm a professional mediator. I've got a background in human resources. I could be an expert witness. I considered getting into you know, direct marketing. I even thought about, okay, how much money would it take to open the Subway sandwich shop, things like that. So I'm looking at all these different options. And, you know, I dabbled here and there and nothing really seemed to stick. And then let's get back to the Amazon bookstore. I'm passing by the Amazon bookstore and I look and there's a book there. In fact, I'm holding it right in my hand, Crushing It in Apartments and Commercial Real Estate uh, by Brian Murray. And just I read the synopsis and I read the chapters and I thought, man. This, it really spoke to me. I don't know, you know, when you thumb through a book and you go, I got to get this. I I took it home and I devoured it. I read the whole thing within a day. And I thought, you know, when you get a spark, something that excites you and you go, wow, this is what I want to do. And I thought I could get into real estate. You know, there was like many investors, I start thinking, okay, how can I afford a single family residence? Just get one rental house. I was amazed one time I rode with a a newer police officer. And I was his sergeant. I was doing a little training with him. And we were just talking about what we're doing on the weekend. He goes, oh, yeah, I have to go down to my rental house and do some work on it. And I thought, wait a second. You're too young to have a rental house. What do you mean have a rental house? And I remember that conversation with him. He told me about it and how it seemed to be a good investment. It had gone up in value and things like that. And I thought, How come I don't have rental houses? What am I doing? I'm near the end of my career. You're at the beginning of years. You have rental houses and I do not. And I remember that conversation. And then as I read this book, and then I read Brandon Turner's book from Bigger Pockets. And then I kept reading books and reading books. And then I started listening to podcasts like yours and finding information out there. That spark came back to me. The same spark I had when I figured out what I wanted to do in life, that I wanted to go into policing, or the same spark when I wanted to go back and get my degree. And I saw clear vision. You know, my eyes opened up and I set a path towards what I wanted to do with my life. I thought, okay, if I'm going to get into real estate, I obviously need to learn all about it. And then, you know, as you know, in real estate, there's many different ways that someone can make a living in real estate. You can be an appraiser. You could work for a bank. You could loan money. You could be an investor. You could be any number of things. And I thought, well, now here's Seems to be a combination. If I were my own agent, I could do my own deals and I could buy and hold properties. That's what I I determined. So I made my business plan. I thought I'm going to be a buy and hold investor and I'm going to do my own real estate thing on the side so I can do my own deals and I can help my friends and family if they want to start investing in real estate, too, whether they're, you know, their initial property investment, or if they want to get into multifamily like me. And that that's really where I changed my focus is moving from that single family residence to finally, no, no, I need to go multifamily. No, 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 I need to go large. I need to go apartment buildings. So that's, that's really where that journey took me. It was just a, a journey progression, figuring out what I wanted to do with my life and taking the steps I needed in order to achieve it.
0: I love that. And many of us who are in the commercial space who like multifamily, we start with that same progression, you know, we start with a single family home and then we, "Uh, okay, well, this is nice. Uh, I probably have to buy 20 more of these to get to my goal. So maybe exactly. Let me start getting into small multifamily and this is cool. Maybe I just need four or five of these to get to my first goal. But when you expand your mind to what's possible, to what you can actually do, and you break off the change, you break off the limiting beliefs, and you start to realize that, you know, the commercial game that a lot of these big guys are playing, it's not as complicated, it's not as hard, and it's not as gruesome. If not, if anything, you know, it's it's almost the same exact as small multifamily investors or single family investors, um, just with bigger numbers, just with more zeros. When you realize yeah. that, and you 're able to expand your mind that 's when things really get fun and it seems as though that 's what you 've been able to do so let 's talk about you know the fact that you 've chosen this real estate path that you 've chosen you know th- there's a lot of ways, like you said to make money in real estate, and the two most common ways of course, are you know flipping real estate and also rental property now. As a man with your seasoning, of course, I just want to ask, you know, what- Wait, what, how old are you saying I am,
1: Duray? Seasoning, all right. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I, anything over over 18. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, I, I firmly embrace that. I tell someone I've worked somewhere 30 years, you know I've got some seasoning behind me. <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time. Go on. What was so attractive about rental property investing and investing for the long term? You know, I think- Probably just in in listening to enough seasoned, (laughs) there's that word again, seasoned investors uh, on a variety of different podcasts and reading books from experts and articles and blog posts, whatever the case might be. You know, as as I'm researching this and as I'm learning more and more and accumulating knowledge, things that you talk about on your show a lot, the studying process of learning what you want to do with your life it's hard to explain, but there's a certain light bulb that comes on for me. And as I examine all the different things I could do, and I'd heard about people doing flips before. And I thought about that. And I thought, "Eh, I'm not really the most handy type guy. In fact, that's what my wife said. She goes, you aren't really a Mr. Fix-It. I go, hey, come on, man. I I, I can do it. She goes, no, that's not your thing. And she was right. Uh, That is not my thing. And certainly, I would hire contractors if I wanted to do that. But that I just kind of dismissed that. That didn't seem to be my thing. I know there's many of your listeners out there that flip homes and they do great at it. And that's great. I'm really happy for them. But it seemed to me, I thought, and I remember, I don't remember who it was, but as I'm listening to podcasts and things like this, I heard someone say, yeah, but if I'm not flipping homes, I'm not making money. And that really hit home to me. I went, oh, yeah, this is a J-O-B. This is a job. And to those that are doing it, more power to you. I'm glad you're doing it. That's great. But that's not exactly what I wanted. So you try to devise a plan that fits what you want. Well, what did I want to do? I want to spend more time with my kids. I want to be able to travel with my wife. And I wanted to live anywhere in the world I wanted to live. And I didn't want to have to worry about money. So that really led me to being what, you know, as you would term or others, a, a passive investor. I wanted to buy something. I want to hold it. And I want it to pay money each month. And I thought if I can find an investment that I can put money into. Now I bought stocks and bonds and mutual funds and things like that before, but I didn't have any control of those companies. I had n- no power at all. I couldn't tell you whether Costco was going to do well or not, or McDonald's. I mean, that was the basic idea you know, buy a big company and hope that it does well. Well, you know, that's not always the case. Different presidents and stockholders and things like that. You never know what's going to happen with a certain business. I thought, now in real estate, I can control this myself. I can look for an investment that pays me money each month and I get to run this business. And it really took the mindset of saying, this is going to be a business for me. I'm going to start my own business. I've been a public employee for 30 years and I'm going to start my own business. And it was really exciting to say, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to go into something for myself. And we can get into the size of building and and the deals, you know, what I've done and things. But that was the idea, the mindset of just knowing multifamily is where I want to be. That's going to pay me the most money for the least amount of work. I don't know. That kind of sounds a little simplistic and I hope it doesn't sound lazy, but that's what I wanted. Yeah, I see you smiling. That's exactly right. We want that passive investment. We want that asset working for us, not me working for the asset. And that's what, made sense to me. I, I think as I continue to examine all the possibilities that real estate had to present to me, that ha- old, holding a passive investment that continues to appreciate in value, that other people pay for, that gives me tax advantages, and pays me a nice sum, sum of mon- money each month. How great is that? This is, this is, the United States is a beautiful place. This is <laughs> wonderful. How, how I can I do this? This is great, and it was that light that came on. I went, man, this is what I want to do. That's amazing.
0: And David, speaking to your career as a thirty-year lawman, you know you've been in employee mode all of your life. Yes, and you know there are tons of sayings out there to where you know it's one of those things to where the older you get, the the less and less likely it is for you to be able to make a major change. It is for you to know do something such as go entrepreneurial, like. What are the odds that, you know, somebody can go entrepreneurial and be successful first and foremost, and then then you have somebody who's been a a lifelong career man, a a lifelong employee, you know, suddenly decides to flip the switch. And yeah. within that instant that this person has flipped the switch, you know, you start seeing some of the fruits of your labor, you start seeing some of the benefits, but you know, before then you touched on, you know, investing in stocks, bonds, 401k, things of that nature. And as a 30 year career man, I can imagine that you, you know, you, you, you've done good for yourself. You've done well for yourself to where, as you I said, in Seattle, in Seattle, you could retire at 53. So giving the options that you have before you, given, given the, the savings that you have, you know, you talk right. about not wanting to ever walk for money again and. And you had a formidable plan that if you chose to, to just stick with your career and nothing else alone and not be an entrepreneur and right. not open, get into real estate and, and some of the other things that you do now, you know, you would have been perfectly fine. Oh, right? yeah, I would. But you made the decision to become entrepreneurial and change your life for the better. And I think that that decision point is, is what I want to get to, is what I want to talk about, is what's so fascinating to me is, you know, many people believe that they make decisions and I don't believe that you can truly say you've made a decision until you've put pen to paper you've taken action you know most people say oh in 2018 what I'm going to do is I'm going to buy my first investment property and they never actually come up with a plan like they in their mind they've made a decision to get into their first investment property but you haven't made that decision until you have a formidable plan and you start acting on that decision until then it's really just a thought that goes in and out of your head so when you make that decision what was the first investment property that you purchased what did that deal look like and kind of talk about
1: that to us sure do you want to know about the ones that fell through or do you just should we jump right to the good stuff no you no let's, let's, talk, let's,
0: let's actually talk about the ones that fell through the very first okay
1: all right to. i'll not go into huge detail on those because i didn't buy any of those but it, it's kind of that general progression that i think a lot of your listeners either are in the middle of or they've thought about you know if they can use this story as as maybe a guiding motivation then i'm really excited about that so again i started thinking single family residence and I went, no, that's I gotta buy too many of those, right? You come up with I have never come up with a number that I want. I just wanna be comfortable and not worry about money. That's my main thing. I don't want to worry about money. So I thought, okay, multifamily. So now we're talking two to four units, you can still get a residential loan. And that seemed to be the way to go. Like I found a triplex in Tacoma and the inspection came back horrible and there was so much work to do and they wouldn't negotiate. Okay, that's not the deal for me. Let's back out of that one. Then I started looking at a fourplex, I think it was another place in Washington. And, you know, it turns out that the seller didn't really want to sell it there. There was nothing happened. I made the offer and it didn't go through. So I thought, okay, maybe I'm not looking at the right properties here. And I started thinking, okay, again, my mind is expanding. I'm thinking bigger and bigger. Well, let's look at multifamily. Now, i would never done that before. That that requires a commercial loan, anything five units or, or more. So I started looking in that five to nine range, in that uh, 10 plus range, uh, and I found an apartment building. And I thought, wow, this is kind of cool. Think of this. Instead of doing one deal multiple times in a row, I can just do one deal and have you know 18 units. And uh, so that one, the seller used my offer in order to negotiate a private sale with someone else. Oh, okay. But I wasn't deterred. I didn't back down because I knew what I wanted. I knew what I wanted to go for. Then I found another building, but the financials were not as advertised. I got them from the broker. I sent them over and I said, this is not what you said it was. Oh, well, I think the office entered the numbers wrong. Okay, well, thank you very much. We'll not do this deal. So finally, I started, you know, I was talking to my wife and I said, I think I I know what I want to do. I need to go bigger. We need to start off with a big number. And she said, okay, well, how are you going to do that? I said, well, you know, one of the benefits we have living in Seattle is that our real estate prices have really skyrocketed. We have a lot of equity built up in our home. What if we took that equity out and we used it in order to buy an apartment building? She said, I'm all for it because she knew this was what I wanted to do and she knew I was motivated by this. I said, great, let's do that. So we went to our broker, did a refi on the home and took out $380,000. wow, now I can make a serious dent. I can really go after something. So last July... I tore the patella tendon in my knee, which was not good. I was on the diving board. My kids thought I just, you know, fell into the water and was making a fool of myself. No, I I actually like tore it up, and it was bad. So I was on the couch all summer long. But the great thing was, I had my real estate license, and I could, you know, just search the MLS day after day after day after day. I probably analyzed four hundred deals and finally came up with. A 24 unit, this is an all in one deal. A 24 unit apartment building combined with a 15 unit storage building, a parking lot, and a single family residence. So, you know, all these parcels in one deal and it was for sale. It was on the market in the MLS in Washington for 1.325 million. And I went and I analyzed the numbers. I had them send me all the financials and I said, I'll offer you 1.1 and they came up to 1.14 and we closed that deal. And it was great. I really felt fulfillment for this. I used that earnest money. I put down my earnest money, waited on the transaction and closed that 24 unit. And it's like, wow, I'm an apartment building owner now. So that was, it was really exciting to me to close my first deal to find that apartment building. It's in Centralia, Washington. It's halfway between Seattle and Portland. And it's a blue collar town. I like it there. It's a comfortable city. I like the folks there. I like the people. I like the neighborhood. And it's this classic old brick building. It's old. Don't get me wrong. It's 97 years old. It's built in 1920. I guess it's 98 years old now. But it's in pretty good shape. And uh, I've been putting money into it and, and fixing it up even more. And I'm really excited by this asset and how I can create value in it just by... Increasing the uh, profits, the rents, and decreasing the expenses, and I can create value in my business just owning this. And I got a property manager, and it it doesn't take me much time each week. They take care of most everything. And man, this is exactly what I wanted to do. Passive income. I pay the mortgage, but it puts money in my pocket each month. And you know, no disrespect to tenants, but they're really paying for this. I just get to reap the benefit. So that's the deal. My first deal was a twenty-four unit apartment building.
0: Man, that's that's an amazing first deal. That sounds splendid. And it's crazy that deal came after a few things that could have quite frankly, you know, put a bad taste in your mouth and had you had you, you know, just be like, you know, I don't want to do this real estate stuff anymore. It's not for me. But you didn't have that mindset. You had a burning desire to to reach your goal and, and that's what you did. You talk about the fact that you had these deals. And they fell through. You know, you, you, had, you went from, it seems like you started a single family, then you went to small multifamily. That deal that fell through, that the financials weren't right. What were you looking at? What were you basing your, your criteria off of? And how did you figure out that the financials weren't right?
1: Sure. So, when you're looking at a deal, and I know you know this, but for your listeners, you, you have to get all the recent rents and all the recent expenses, anything that's putting money out of your pocket. And you need to know what those numbers are. You need to be really firm with them. And I was not going to do a deal unless I could get all those financials from the seller. So the one that didn't go through, you know, they sent me the rent roll. And I thought, okay, great. It shows a fairly high occupancy rate, very low vacancy. That's great. But I'm adding up the numbers and I'm going, this doesn't make sense. And then they sent me, this was really cool. Actually, I thought they sent me uh, one page of their tax return that showed the profits on the building, which is really nice to get but it still didn't match up with the rents. And so I called up the broker and I, I said, you know, you're saying that this, I don't remember the exact number, but let's say that you're saying this property is supposed to generate $10,000 a month. And I see it's only generating 8,500. Where are we going wrong here? And you go, oh no, I'm, I'm sure it's 10,000. And I, I said, no, if you look at, look at the units, add them up, even if at 100% occupancy, you're not gonna get to where this this number is. And I said, then look at the tax return, which thank you very much for sending to me. But it shows that the, the annual gross was, was this amount. And if you divide that by 12, it's about where I think the rents are showing. So those numbers matched up, but what they said would be the profit would not. So he said, okay, well, let me, let me check on that. I think the office must have entered it wrong. So he hit me back and said, Hey, you know, sorry about that. I, I, I think they, they had the wrong numbers. You still want to do the deal? I said, no, <laughs> no, thank you. Because it's not profitable now. I wanted a business that would be profitable. Now, there may be times, particularly in Seattle, it has such a, you know, low cap rate, high value city. Maybe you take a chance on a building that you believe will appreciate greatly over time. And I, I think some of the property in Seattle will. But what I was looking for was cash flow. I'd heard enough stories from experts that had gone through the two thousand eight crash, and everyone said if you had multifamily, you were sitting good, but if you had a property that wasn't cash flowing or if you had properties that you know where the debt service was not where it needed to be, that's where they got hurt and that's that's really what did in you know, some of their businesses and why they had to sell a lot of their properties or just, just go bankrupt. And I thought, okay, <laughs> word to the wise, thank you for those lessons. Someone is, has gone through tough times. What can I do to avoid that? And the message seemed to be, make sure that you own multifamily, numerous units. So if a couple people move out, you're not going to get killed. You know, you, you still got rent money coming in. And that seemed to make sense to me. So anyway, that deal that didn't go through back to, back to your question was why not? Well, the numbers didn't matter. It's really vital that you look at all those numbers and if you're not good with numbers, if you're not good on running an Excel spreadsheet, uh, there's products out there you can get or find an expert. Go to someone that really knows how to do that. Find someone that can mentor you and how to look at and examine those numbers. The other thing, oh, let me add this. When you go with a commercial bank, that puts a second set of eyes on it, right? They're not going to loan money if they don't believe it to be a profitable business. This real estate deal is going to make money. Uh, because they know if you default on it, they own it. And they need to make sure that the debt coverage ratio is good and everything is going to make sense for them. So I kind of liked having that commercial loan aspect, having a second set of eyes, professional eyes looking at this deal that said, yeah, David, this this looks good. If you can close this deal, we will definitely loan on this. this. This is great. So that's how I need to make sure those numbers match up. And I'm a very pessimist. I'm an optimistic person at heart, but I'm very pessimistic when it comes to my numbers, right? That way, I know if it passes my sniff test, it's still going to be profitable for me. It's still going to work out. And and that's really what's important. Look at it with a very jaded eye. And that way, when something doesn't quite match up or doesn't quite go as planned, you still have a lot of cushioning, flexibility, shall we say. Like, okay, but I still know we're still right where we need to be. So
0: David, maybe speak to the people who are, you know, looking to get into their first investment, such as you were a few years ago, and they're super excited. They can't wait to get into their first investment. And often a problem that I see is, People create the situation that they want. So even if the numbers don't work out as a first time real estate investor and you know, you going through the MLS and you analyzing over 400 properties and you going through these problems that you went through trying to buy single family, trying to buy small multifamily, anybody going through something like that nine times out of ten has the mindset. I'm ready. To get into my first investment property, I'm ready right. to close. And sometimes we may tend to imagine a possibility in the future that's maybe not probable, or we may tri- tend to look at the numbers and be like, "Well, I can bend my my criteria to meet the numbers of the property, and it'll be okay." You never, you know. What do you have to say to the to the listers who are super eager to get into their first investment property, who we'll have their criteria down on paper, but there's that imbalance of being super gung ho and eager and ready to tackle, you know, that first investment property reverses getting into
1: a bad deal. Right. So for your before the millions listeners that are sitting on the sidelines and waiting, make sure you're doing more today than you did yesterday. And make sure you're doing more tomorrow than you're doing today. Everyone works at different speeds. And, and frankly, I'm very blessed. Let's talk about two things, two advantages I have that maybe not all listeners would have. One is I have... still a full-time job. And if I even choose to retire, I have a steady paycheck coming in. I have a, a retirement account, right? Okay. So I fully recognize that I don't have to hang it all out on the line. And I can probably still make my mortgage on my home if for some reason I couldn't do policing tomorrow. If I were to give it all up and just go, man, I'm going real estate all the way. Now, for those that don't have that retirement, I can see that being harder for them. But the other advantage I have is there's a mindset, and that's what I really want to instill in, in your listeners. They're sitting on the sidelines that are waiting. They're listening to podcasts, they're reading books, and they're listening to people, experts in the field. They're going to real estate meetups. Those are all great things, and I'm glad they're doing those. And if, if you're one of those that are doing everything you can to learn about the business, good for you. You are on the right path. But at some point, we can't just talk the talk. We need to walk the walk. Okay. So there's any number of ways, and I encourage them to look for books, possibly, or podcasts that can tell you how to raise money for your first deal. Okay. Whether you are going to go out and, and refi your home, that's just one thing I did. Okay. So that's an advantage I have. If you don't have that advantage to refi your home, maybe you have friends and family that would like to go in together with a deal with you. Okay. And if you have not done a deal before, show them a potential deal. Okay. So you talked about numbers to show them, Hey, this is the type of deal I'm going to be looking at and show them something that's successful. And even better, if you haven't done it yourself, find a, and I know this is, this is a tough one. It's easy to say and tough to do. Find a mentor, even go to real estate meetup, find someone that owns property and go, Hey, I would love to show this type of deal to my friends and family. I'd like to raise some money with them, something like that can you show me the financials, how this all works? And, you know, find someone that'll show them that. That's something you can send out and go, hey, this is the type of deal that I want to do. And then work towards that. And that's really the other message I want to get across is is do not be denied. And that's something I've really gotten listening to you too. I can tell that sense of you have a stick-to-itiveness that you're not going to be denied. And I was the same way. Uh, I had to do whatever I was going to do to get the goals that I was going to reach. And that's what I think that those listeners sitting on the sidelines, they have to get to that point where you're not going to be denied. And you're going to do more today than you did yesterday. And you're going to do more tomorrow than you did today. If every day, I know this might sound too simplistic, but if every day you're doing more, eventually that goal comes. Okay. Now for some people, it comes really quickly and and they accomplish what they wanted in a month. Maybe some others take six months and maybe some others take a year to do that deal. And I know you were talking really about. You know, what goal are you going to set for yourself in 2018? If their goal is to buy a rental property, whether it be a single family ho- house, a duplex, a triplex, or an apartment building, or commercial real estate, whatever it is they want to do, work towards that goal, work towards accomplishing what it is you want to get done. The, do something that's more than you were doing before. And, and baby steps count, okay? Not everyone takes giant steps. Sometimes baby steps count. Are you still working towards it? And wouldn't it be great if you've been sitting on the sidelines, just listening to podcasts and and reading books and reading articles, but hey, maybe you chose a low price rental property and you got your first single family rental house under contract. That is a huge accomplishment. Okay. Not everyone goes out and buys an apartment building. The first thing I'm glad I did that. That seemed to be the path for me, but everyone has different paths. And I encourage the listeners to find what path seems right to them and pursue those goals, take steps in order to achieve what it is they want to do. I I hope that's helpful. I'm hoping I'm not rambling too much on that. But the idea being that you're working towards it. If today you didn't do anything and you didn't do anything tomorrow and the next week you did nothing, well, nothing's going to happen, okay? I mean, let's be honest about it. But if you're doing a little bit this week and a little bit next week and some the day after that and the month after that, and now you've gotten to the point, now you've reached out and maybe you've raised some money. Maybe you've maybe you've established a savings plan. And by the end of the year, you've got $20,000 in the bank, you know? Uh, okay, great. That's something, there are places in the United States, you can buy a property with $20,000 down. Excellent, go for it. You know, that's, that's my message, go for it.
0: That's lovely, that's amazing. And I have bought property with $20,000 down. So again, speaking to kind of everybody's situation, you know, Everybody has a USP or everybody has this, this, you, everybody's in a unique position to make yeah. something happen. You know, you happen to be a unique position to be able to refi your home, but I believe that every single person on this planet has some type of unique position that they can leverage to. Get what it is that they want out of life, whether that is you know being in the military and using something like a VA loan, whether that is being in a rural area and using some some of those type of loans, whether it's you know having well off parents that are able to provide you you know with, with what you need, whether it's it's knowing you know having an uncle as a real estate investor and him taking you under your wing. You know, everybody has something. How you about know,
1: house hacking.
0: House hacking. You know that's that's yeah. another thing. So I don't want anybody to ever be discouraged in the sense that right. well. You know, uh, it sounds like David has like everything just kind of laid out for him. And it, it seems that it was, uh, it, although he, he faced problems, you know, he was able to, to know in the back of his head that, you know, it was going to be at, OK at the end of the day. No matter what position that you're in, you know, if you imagine getting into real estate investing and, you know, let's say you get into a bad deal you know, no matter how bad things get, I just want, you, I, just, I like the listeners to just think about the worst possible scenario, you know, mm-hmm. of getting to your first investment property. What's the worst thing that could happen? And as you think about the worst thing that could happen, you know, truly really think about, you know, if you were to get into your first investment, property, like you said, buy something for a hundred thousand dollars, put $20,000 down, whatever the case may be, think about the worst possible things that could happen. And if those things happened how would you mitigate those? How would you recover from that? How would you solve those problems? Would you be okay? You know, would you be able to, would your life end? And the answer to that is no. Right. No, you're, go- you're not going to come out unscathed. You know, you're going to come out of that situation with tons, tons of valuable life experiences that you can now leverage for future successes. But if you never get off the sideline, if you never get
1: started, I mean, what, what do you have to work with? Right, Surely that's right. Really, really, what do you have to work Absolutely, with? <laughs> I completely agree. I, uh, Rod Cleef calls those uh, financial. He calls them life lessons. You know, failure is a great life lesson, and it it just moves you forward, and it helps you avoid the same mistakes next time. So, I, I completely agree. With I love the message that you put out on your podcast. I, I completely agree.
0: I appreciate that, David. So today here in, in 2018, what would you say is your number one focus? As far as real estate goes, what would you say is your area of expertise in which you can add some value to our audience? I think
1: my area of expertise would be the ability to analyze a property, to find something that makes sense financially. I always advocate for cash flow and I help my clients try to find properties that cash flow. I do know that sometimes there might be properties that you're gonna buy just based on appreciation. And maybe they won't cash flow each month, but maybe they have other sources of income another job or other properties that they're gonna subsidize that a bit and work on that appreciation side. They, they believe in five years, the property will be worth, you know, double the amount that it is today or a third of the amount, whatever the case might be. My belief is cash flow. And the best way I could probably help your listeners, if you have listeners in Washington state I would be happy to help them analyze properties. That's what I really find my expertise. And I kind of enjoy that. I kind of like looking at the numbers. And again, I I bring a jaded eye. Uh, You talked about failure. I want to make sure that you you can't absolutely protect against it. But if you're looking, I think you mentioned this before, don't try to uptick the numbers in order to make the property make sense. Oh, well, if I... If this happened, and A happened, and B happened, and C happened, well, then we finally get to D. Be really cautious about that. And that's what I always advise my clients that I help look for properties, is let's take a pessimistic view of this. Let's talk about a little bit about, like you said, that worst case scenario. If it didn't cash flow, if what would happen if... The, let's? And that's one of the things that worried me about just one single family residence. If the tenant moves out, there's no rent money coming in. And that's what really drew me to multifamily. Again, my initial look was that two to four units. But that's where I, uh, I find a lot of my clients here in Washington State are looking in that two to four unit range. And I think that's a great place to be. It's a great place to start. And let's say you've got a, a fourplex. One person moves out, you still got other, three other people uh, paying rent. Well, maybe you do some refurbishment or maybe you, you replace the tenant, whatever the case might be. So the more doors I think you have, the more impervious you are to downturns in the market or a renter moving out or a, 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 a for, a, a, you know, anything like that, that, that bad that might happen. So that's what I like helping people with, finding those properties that are going to cash flow. And then I have some clients now who are looking in the apartment building space because they've heard me on your podcast and others' podcasts talking about how I can help find apartment buildings. So that's what I really like to do is to help people do that.
0: That's amazing. So what would you say about your area of expertise, your ability to be able to analyze deals? What would you give us give us some some golden rules to follow when, when analyzing deals or some 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 things that you know we
1: we should look for. Okay? When I start off analyzing a property, I have a le- really quick down and dirty spreadsheet and I put in the purchase price, what the expected rents are, and it's really important to remember that those are pro forma numbers, meaning Sometimes the other realtors will put in the best case scenario as to what they believe this property will generate. It's a, it's a good place to start, I think. You can start with those numbers. And then I say, okay, well, how much is a mortgage going to be on this? So I kind of put a little mortgage calculator in there and uh, figure out what the mortgage is going to be. And then I learned this on Bigger Pockets. It's just a rough rule of thumb. There There is no absolutes here. But if you kind of think that maybe half of your rents are going to go towards expenses, I think that's you know a, a good place to start, so let's look at how much income are we making and and that's that's your I don't know let's just say uh, well, let's use my building as an example okay if if everything is rented fully one hundred percent, it's gonna generate about fifteen thousand a month, okay so I know that now it's important to factor in that vacancy. A lot of people forget about vacancy, so when people aren't there. Like I have two units vacant right now. I'm refurbishing them and uh, making sure they're nice for the next person that's going to move in. So I know I'm, I'm two units down this month. So I'm not going to get 15000 That's fine because I know what my mortgage is. Mortgage comes in about 3900 a month. And then I figure there's expenses each month. The property manager takes care of that. But I expect uh, a nice check for still several thousand dollars uh, on January 31st. My bank account will get bigger. And that's, that's what I love about... Real estate, you know, as long as you've analyzed a property properly, if you know what the expenses are gonna be, and, and and that's really my specialty, is looking at that and going, okay, let's take worst case scenario. Oh that's why an inspection is really important. I need to find out all the things that are gonna cost money with this place and figure out what it is that's gonna cost money deduct that from your potential rents, your potential gross profits, and make sure you're paying the mortgage. If you're doing that and you still have a nice sum of money coming out each month, that's a cash flowing property. Now, sure, the world could end and, and it could fall around, earthquakes can happen, floods, uh, acts of God and everything. But all in all, on a day-to-day basis, month to month, as long as that property is cash flowing, I think it's going to be a great property for someone to invest in. So That's what I like finding for people.
0: I love that. So it sounds like we're we're gonna we're gonna make sure that you know we're 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 estimating our expenses to be at least you know right around fifty percent of our sure. of our, our of our gross. Um, so we're taking our expenses, we're taking our mortgage payments, we're take, taking things like that into consideration. You know, mm-hmm. property management, and we're plugging that into into our formula. We're plugging that into our spreadsheet, and if right. we're able to, if we're able to see uh, some profits, um, actually, maybe not thin profits, but maybe more substantial profits. And that looks like a good deal is what
1: I'm getting from you. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the, the higher those margins are, the more profitable the property will be and the better able it is to withstand those downturns. Things happen, you know, uh, let's just prepare for that in advance. And then when it does happen, uh, you still have enough cash reserve to to make sure that you're still going to be, you know, fine at the end of the month, basically. You can still make the mortgage and still cover those expenses. Yeah. Does the unexpected happen? Absolutely. That's why it's also important to have cash reserves. And that's what my bank wanted to see, making sure that you have enough cash reserves to uh, withstand those downturns or that, you know, major maintenance thing that that came up, whatever it might be.
0: I love that. So. Talking about present day in your life, David. Let's fast forward to today and and currently, you know, we talked about some of your current focuses at at a a high level, but let's get into them a little bit. So, you know, your day to day activities, what do they look like? Because I know you're you're on podcast uh, episodes. You just started a brand new business that's not even in the real estate niche. You know, you're still a real estate investor. You're still actively looking for uh, looking for real estate deals. And then you also mentioned that you have clients and you still work for the police department. So, (laughs) so so, and, and not to mention you have a family that you definitely love spending time. So let's talk about your day and how you're able to kind of semiotically fit all these things into into one cohesive, great lifestyle.
1: Honestly, that can be a challenge. And and time management is one of the great challenges that I certainly face. So what are my tips there? Wow, there's a lot we could go into. I'll try to keep it... Okay, you want personal stories. I I like telling (laughs) personal stories. And that's what's probably most relevant for people that are out there, right? They're thinking, I don't have enough time. How do I get to do this? let's be honest, the longer you're at a job, it's particularly a public service job, the more days off you get. So I get a huge amount of vacation time each year. I mean, it, it's I basically get 30, 35 days off each year. And any overtime I work, I can take on comp time. So I get even more time off. So I am a lieutenant in the police department right now, and my job is to review use of force. So I have an important role to play as part of Seattle in today's policing and making sure that officers are using constitutional uses of force, not excessive and things like that. So that's my day to day job. So there's a lot of work to do, but sometimes officers aren't using force. All right. Hopefully we make arrests without using force. That's actually a police officer's goal. I think a lot of people believe differently. It's been my experience personally and the officers I've worked with or supervised that generally, if you can talk someone to the back of the car, that's a good thing. That means a lot less paperwork, fewer complaints, no use of force. That's a beautiful thing. Officers like when people just put their hands behind their back, off to jail, and and they like writing their reports. And and that's it. So when officers aren't using force, I get plenty of time off. And that's the times when I schedule, whether it's meeting with clients, or whether it is uh, doing a podcast, or whether it's out Looking at a property or things like that, or whether it's like we talked about my little side business of, of expert witness now I also have evenings and weekends, and I have a lot of kid activities, so how do you schedule those? My wife and I make it a point of using you know we use Google Calendar and every you should see our calendar it's obscene looking we like we have a busy life we instill that in our children too, not busy for the sake of being busy, but just to have some purpose and some goal in life, whether it's a, educational. Uh, My daughter started driving uh, two weeks ago. So that's kind of fun. So she and I are out driving together. My son just started, you know, his new sports season. Uh, My other son's also always active in sports. So how do I get to all those things? How do I do real estate? How do I do expert witness consulting and still do a police job during the day? That is a great question. And I fully take advantage of my time off. I really do. So, and we still schedule vacations. So we still schedule time away. I think a lot of it comes down to time management. And again, my wife and I, at the beginning of the week, we sit down and we look at the calendar, what's coming up this week. Because frankly, if I'm so busy that I'm not paying attention to her and I'm not paying attention to the family, what's it all worth? Okay, if I'm blowing my marriage, uh, because I'm more concerned with me with persona number one, then I've got the wrong number one, they need to be number one. So. I really take pride in making sure that I have time available for them. Everyone has different things that they're interested in. Some people like uh, doing show dogs on the weekend. Other people like to ski. Some people play uh, fantasy football sports. I can't tell you how much time I spent playing fantasy football. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, now, that's how I won championships. And yeah. I'd win my little pot of money, my two or $300. And I thought to myself wait a sec, do I really need to watch TV? Do I really need to study all the players? No. What if I devote my attention to family and worthwhile goals instead? So it's, it's taking advantage of those dead times. I'm also blessed that I don't require a large amount of sleep at night. So it's not infrequent. You could call me up probably at midnight, 1 a.m., and I'm still up. Okay? So it's a great time to analyze deals. There's no one bothering me. I can, I can just look at deals all day long. And I don't need to watch other than Game of Thrones. I don't need to watch a lot of TV, right? So it's a matter of repurposing, making sure that my priorities are where they need to be. Family first, okay, and and then start looking at career and things like that. So I, I guess that'd be my message to people is find those times when you're not doing anything when you're and I don't I don't mean to sound down on anyone that likes to ski or go to dog shows. Everyone has different things they like to do. But if it's not really producing great fun or enjoyment or activity or something worthwhile for you, maybe you can repurpose and start to look for something that does. Like, you know, planning for your future, owning real estate, things like that that, that things that you and I are, and your listeners are interested in.
0: I love that. That's so well said, David. And, you know, kind of just wrapping up this, this conversation with the bow, what next for you? What's your grand scheme? What's the overall picture look like? When does David Sweeney say, you know, I've achieved the ultimate level of success and fulfillment in my life as far <laughs> as, you know, business goes? What, what,
1: what does that look like for you? Right. Well, Albert Schweitzer said success is not the key to happiness. Happiness is the key to success. Oh, I love you know, it. <laughs> you will be successful. So right now, I'm loving what I'm doing, and I'm feeling very successful. Um, That being said, I want to buy another apartment building. And here's the interesting thing. I've spent all my capital, okay? I don't have that home equity loan that that I can magically take out that I know a lot of people, you know, oh, I wish I could do that. Well, now I'm in the same boat as everyone else, okay? So now I need to figure out how do I raise money, and how do I do my next deal, and how do I potentially do a bigger deal, okay? I think there's a great place for investors in the apartment building community. If you're not going super big where you're competing with the the big institutional investors, those people with, you know, your show is before the millions, those yep. people with with the millions, <laughs> right? Okay. Yeah, the people that easily can do a deal and and get 300 apartment building under contract. However, I personally I want to stay out of the 2 to 4 units. But I think, you know, between uh, five units and a hundred. I think there's a great space for investors out there. You're not competing with the big boys, and uh, I can tell you that that at least in Washington State, those rental units of two to four units they go really fast. I have clients I've tried to help, and man, the property is gone. You know, within a week. So I think I'm in a good place to. That's what's next for me is finding that that large scale apartment building, and so I'm going to do a couple things to help myself accomplish that. Number one, continue to help people. That's as long as I'm doing that, uh, money will take care of itself. Enough deals will come through that, uh, with my real estate license, uh, you know, helping people, I'll get some money I can raise from that. But then I need to determine how best to bring in other investors and other partners in order to do that next large deal. So that's that's my next thing is learning what's required. I don't want to you know, run afoul of any SEC regulations and things like that. I, I know there's a lot of important parts, moving parts as far as doing a large deal like that. But that's what's next for me. And my goal would get that, get that done by the, by the end of the year. So that's, that's my goal to buy an, another apartment building. I want two, three, four apartment buildings under contract and sold. That would be my goal. So I'm, I'm taking steps towards working towards that.
0: That's amazing. And have you already started looking at the the ideal apartment, building? have you started analyzing
1: deals? uh, Oh, yeah. I always analyze deals. Number one for myself, number two for my clients. So I have people that I'm helping look for deals right now. And I know there's a lot of clients out there that have, you know, either whether it's self-directed IRAs where they have, you know, frankly, a large amount of money that they want to put towards a multifamily property that they know is going to generate income for them. So that's great. I also like helping those first time investors that want to get into, you know, like we talked about whether it's single family residence or a two, three, four unit. So I like helping those people too. So the better I can do to keep my eye on the market and know what's out there, both for myself and my clients, that's what I like doing at night. So that's pretty much where I spend my time analyzing deals and shopping those out to people going, hey, this one makes good sense. You know, you should probably look at this. This might be a good deal for you. You know, so that's, that's what I spend my time doing, especially at night.
0: So your client base, and we haven't really been able to talk about this, and I, I know we don't have a lot of time to talk about it, but your client base, is it, is it more so people who are people who have the capital that are looking for real estate deals, or is it people who, who are looking for real estate deals, but don't necessarily have the capital?
1: I only have a few of those. It seems that most people that are contacting a real estate broker like myself have acquired enough assets or they're borrowing money or they're raising money from others and they're ready to move into the purchase aspect. So, but I didn't, you know, I sat down with a couple the other night, someone that I knew from years ago from Toastmasters. And he said, Hey, you know, we're renting an apartment right now. We manage an apartment building and he has a, a nine to five job and, but what they really want to do is run a bed and breakfast. They said, how do we get there? And we're not there yet. I was absolutely happy to help them look at alternatives as to how they can reach their goal of owning that B&B and be able to move on from a, to a different lifestyle, even though they're not there yet. So it didn't matter to me that they didn't have a lot of money in the bank. But we kind of made a plan and we talked about, you know, the idea of house hacking. And could you set aside this amount of money, much money each month? And at the end of two years, how much money are you going to have? And they had a number okay, great. Now, could you get an FHA loan at that point for, let's say, 3.5% down? Would you be willing to live in part of that unit so you could rent out the other units? They said, yes, we would. Great. But they said, we need some space. So that's what I'm helping them look for right now. Now, they're, they're not ready to buy yet, but I didn't mind helping them. It was fun helping them. I enjoy helping others. So what I'll, I'll keep my eye out for them is a multifamily with a large area for them and their family to live, but maybe it's got two, three, four attached units that they can rent out and start working towards that goal of owning a bed and breakfast. And maybe that's not the bed and breakfast property, but maybe it can help them get where they want to get with that bed and breakfast.
0: Love that. Love that. Love that. This has been an amazing interview. I, I want to thank you so much for your time. We've, we've absolutely went over time. It's been amazing.
1: Uh, yeah, we, we did go quite a while, didn't we? Lifestyle Design Acceleration Hacks.
0: What is your favorite Before the Millions book?
1: Well, let's go back to that one I mentioned before. Crushing it in apartments and commercial real estate. How a small investor can make it big by Ryan Murray. I don't know Brian but I really liked reading his book so you know I'm not getting anything by plugging it but it really made a difference in my life and I think someone else that that buys this book and reads it cover to cover might get the same thing. I love how he shares a personal story of a building that he bought and all the troubles that went along with it. It really opened my eyes, he wasn't just giving, he does give numbers but he also gives a real life example of how he bought a building and, and how he turn to profit to, to make sure that building was working for him so that, that I definitely recommend that book
0: what is your favorite lifestyle design app this can be a business app or tool
1: so the one that really works for me is a jot note Pro and it has saved my bacon I am NOT the best at keeping detailed receipts but if I'm going to run my own business if I'm gonna be an entrepreneur whether uh, it be my real estate investing business whether it be my uh, agent business, being an agent, uh, I'm with Windermere Real Estate, that's a separate business. Or whether it's my expert witness consulting, I need a place to keep receipts. And my wife will tell you, uh, they, they get stored everywhere, they get thrown away, they get, they get whatever. So I have JotNote Pro. So when a receipt comes in, I immediately take a picture of it. And then I can email it to myself, I can email it to my property manager, I could email it to my accountant, or I could drop it into OneDrive or Dropbox. And I think it's fabulous because it works great as a scanner, it uses your phone's camera, takes a great picture, it optimizes the image, and now I can throw that receipt away because I know I've got it stored digitally. So it's both on my phone and it's stored in uh, Dropbox for my accountant. So that's my best lifestyle hack is it it has saved me time, saved me save my bacon and making sure that I'm top on top with my financials.
0: What do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed?
1: I think I enjoy most is spending time with family. That's really my number one. And I'm now granted, I'm taking away some time for family in order to change my lifestyle so that I can spend more time with family. And and, and it seems maybe a little bit counterintuitive. But if I didn't work at all and I just stayed at home and spent 100% time with family, uh, that's not going to work either. It's where do I find that balance in between of spending enough time with them and enough time on my own separate businesses in order to create for them the lifestyle that I, I want to lead. Again, where we don't have to worry about money, my kids can go to school wherever they want, and uh, my wife and I can live wherever we want in the world. So those are, those are some of our goals. So trying to create that balance between the two, uh, but where I like where I'm at right now is I feel really strong in my marriage. I work really hard on my relationship with my kids. I don't want to be the father that they look back on and say, yeah, you know, he made a lot of money, but he, he was never there at my game. I want to be there at the game. And that's important to me. So, you know, my son started a new soccer league that last night. I took him to the game and I told him how proud I was. He played goalie and he got scored on. But I told him how proud I was and I was there for him. He goes, you know, yeah, it was kind of fun. That's what's important to me, really spending time with family. So striking that balance between the two is the lifestyle that I'm looking for. And I think I'm doing a pretty good job with it. Again, I'm, I'm the, I guess, somewhat blessed or cursed. I'm not sure which that I only need about four hours of sleep at night, but I'm up in the morning, getting her back after it, get him off to school, get my wife off to her job and uh, away we go and ready for another day.
0: I love that. I love that so much. And you know, you you spoke on the the, the counterintuitiveness of working harder uh, Mm -hmm. to free up more of your time, and that's something that I think a lot of us entrepreneurs struggle with. You know, I know that myself personally, I struggle with that. Knowing that I my ultimate goal is to free up as much of my time as possible to spend with my loved ones and do the things that truly fulfill me. And you know, when it comes to that goal, it's hard to express that to your loved ones, saying, "Hey." I, I'm trying to spend more time with you. I'm trying to be more present. But for me to do that, I'm gonna have to go away for a while. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, I can tell you right
1: And that's what I want to be able to decide when those times are gonna be. I know I'm probably gonna retire. My wife says five years, I say one to two. So, so police work will be done in a year or two. I'm quite convinced of it. I, I think she will see how I'm doing this real estate business. And when police work gets in the way of real estate, then I can retire. Uh, So that's an advantage being a public employee for 30 plus years. That'll be my plan. When police work gets in the way and I can't do this job that I'm right now enjoying more, then I can retire, that's great. (laughs) Easy peasy. (laughs) Yeah, I know, easy for me to say, right? Yeah, I know a lot of viewers are uh, younger and maybe they're not there yet, But if they don't, I talked to two guys just the other night. I met them uh, for coffee and they talked about their real estate goals and dreams with me and what they wanted to do. They're both engineers, but they both said, we can't see doing this job at this desk for 30 years. And I said, I I feel you. I understand exactly what you're talking about. And they had those same goals in mind that you and I talked about. And it was great to just meet them and talk with them. And figure out what I can do to help them and what they're gonna to do to help me so if you have listeners out there that are saying I can't do this job for another 30 years I know I believe and I know that you believe that real estate is the way to create passive income so that you have more time to do the things that it is that you want to do and, it, and if, if, you're, if if it's not your idea of fun spending 30 years behind a desk let's do something else then so that that's what we got to talking about and had a great time with. And I think that's the things that your podcast is designed to elicit with others. And so I'm happy to add to that.
0: Definitely. And I appreciate that that piece of advice. That's amazing. What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get
1: to where you are today? Time is definitely one. And I kind of touched on this a couple questions ago, but making sure that I'm sacrificing, you know, that time that's the hard thing uh, okay I, I gotta come from the heart here there's going to be some times when i cannot be with my family and that's the sacrifice i'm willing to make so that later i can spend even more time with them the danger part here's the sacrifice here here's where i worry that the sacrifice would be too much and this is from the heart if i look back at 10 years and i've spent so much time that now i say finally i have time with my family and the kids are grown And, you know, my wife and I'll still be married, but if I miss that, then I got my priorities wrong, okay? Then I focused too much on earning the millions rather than spending the time with them. So striking that proper life, work, family, home balance is the key to the whole thing. If, If in 10 years from now, my kids say, yeah, I wish my dad was there more. And my wife and I are living in Hawaii and we have five or six apartment buildings and life is great. And I go, wow, but what did I miss out on? Then I made the wrong sacrifice, didn't I? I? I didn't do it right. So how do I balance those two things to make sure, you know, if I can get some apartment buildings and start replacing the police income and then supplement it with retirement, now I'm talking about the lifestyle that I want where I can I can see them every day and do as much as, as we wanna to do together. That's the sacrifice I'm concerned about that I'm really making sure I do right. And one of the keys to that is making sure I'm communicating with my spouse and making sure that we're both on the same page with what we're doing with our lives.
0: That's an amazing point that you touched on, David, because, I mean, I think a lot of us go through that. I know I know that with me, you know, it's one of those things to where you're like, how much time and effort do you want to spend into your future that's going to prevent you from living in the here and now? Mm-hmm living in the here and now i mean tomorrow's not promised and this is one thing many mentors have uh you know family members and people in my life have, have have instilled in me or are always trying to instill in me because i'm such a workaholic and you know tomorrow's not promised and You know, I have this mindset that as I progress through my real estate investing journey as my entrepreneurial journey, I'm going to gain more and more of my time back because I'm slowly but surely narrowing my focus on only doing things that fulfill me, doing things that I love, doing things that are going to help grow myself and my community. Right. But this is kind of the point that we've been speaking to for the past five minutes. But there comes a point in time in which, you know, you have to understand that you still need to be present. You still need to live in the here and now you still want, you know, you don't want life to pass by before your eyes and now you're, you know, super successful, but you've missed out on the best times of life. So you want to make sure that you find a way to strike that balance as much as, you know, as an entrepreneur, it's very instinctual to just, you know, put your head down and and stay focused until you've achieved your ultimate goal, but you need to come up for water every once in a while, you need to come up for interaction every once in a while. You need to be present in your family's life through the process, not just just as a result of the process. And I think that's super valuable to take take away. Um, I agree. Who was essential to your growth before the
1: millions and why? Oh, definitely my wife. Absolutely number one key to growth she has been so supportive of this she knows how much i love law enforcement but she also knows that i want to retire and i want to spend more time with family and doing the things that i want to do so when i told her what i wanted to do she was very supportive of me and she, You know, it's funny, we did that refund the house. That money sat there in the bank for several months, 380000 just sitting there in the bank, just sitting there in the bank, earning just a couple cents. Isn't it funny how, how little you get, you know, interest money from the <laughs> bank these days. Yeah. But it sat there until the time was right. And when the time was right, I pulled the trigger and got the deal. She, she has been so influential with me. She also knows me really well that if I don't have a goal that I'm working towards. I think I mentioned this earlier in the show, I flounder a bit, I don't progress as far, but when I have something I'm working towards and I take steps towards it, she knows that my life is more fulfilling and I'm probably a better husband and father at that point too, because I know what I'm working for. I know my why, and that helps me do the what.
0: David, we're gonna close with this. Why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention on getting to the millions?
1: For some people, it's a lack of knowledge. And I'm going to say on a whole, I'll bet most of your listeners, it's not due to lack of knowledge. Okay. But I think there's many people stuck out there that have been told, kind of like Kiyosaki's book, that you need to work nine to five. You need to be the poor dad. You need to have a job and retire at the end of 30 years. And hopefully you get a, a pension of some sort. That's not what life is all about. And I think sometimes people get stuck in that rat race, they get stuck in a rut. I'm going to say, I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say most of your listeners probably know that that's not the lifestyle they want to get stuck in. So they're doing what they can do to educate themselves right now. So they've got something going for them, education, they're learning, they're learning from your podcast and others, they're reading books and articles and things like that. Maybe they get their real estate license whatever it is so I think but what possibly some of them are not doing and this would be the key is what action steps are you taking so I would advise them write a plan out figure out step by step what you're gonna do and set a goal for yourself you talked about that in, in your podcast earlier this year set a goal for this year and what steps are you gonna take in order to achieve it write them down and follow them and I said this earlier making sure that you're doing more today than you did yesterday and you're going to do more tomorrow than you did today so if you can establish that mindset i think a lot of your listeners have the education it's getting the mindset and taking the steps in order to achieve what it is they want to achieve so work towards it move towards it and do more today than yesterday do more tomorrow than today
0: and there you have it ladies and gentlemen Mr. David Sweeney, that was amazing. And <laughs> I want to thank I want to thank you again for your time and for the inspiration. I have truly been touched by this conversation. I know our listeners have as well. David, if the listeners want to reach out to you and, and, and kind of get to know a little bit more about you or ask you a question or two, or maybe, you know, even work with you, how can they get a hold of you?
1: Sure. Um, my website is real easy, davidsweeney.com and that's spelled S-W-E-E-N-E-Y. Email, strangely enough, is david at davidsweeney.com. So either way, there's there's ways to reach out to me uh, and a lot of people have, and it's it's nice helping people. If they're in Washington state, I can probably help them, uh, particularly if they're along the I-5 corridor. I don't do too much business in Eastern Washington, but they're, if they're in Washington, I search properties all up and down uh, I-5 in Western Washington and so you know we can talk by phone or email and figure out what it is they're looking for and if they believe that i could help them find that i would love to help i mean that that's it brings joy to my life so they can email me david at davidsweeney.com or just go to the website davidsweeney.com. thanks for allowing me to talk about that
0: amazing thank you so much david hopefully we will have you back on the show soon thank you hey absolutely we can talk about the next
1: deals